We're exploring the concept of living in the tree of life versus living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, The tree of life produces life in us, a life in those around us. Uh, The tree of the knowledge of good and evil produces death, a death in us, a death in the people around us. And the concept flows out of the early chapters of Genesis, but we're using the book of Galatians as our guide in this study. Uh, The church at Galatia had found out who Jesus was. They had accepted Christ as their Savior. Uh, They were full of His Holy Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. They were in love with Christ. They were living a productive, joy-filled Christian life. And then a group of uh, religious people came into their church and said, well, it's fine that you love Jesus, but listen, here's a set of rules and regulations that you also have to follow if you're going to have a right standing with God. Uh, These leaders began to place those rules on that church. Uh, The Galatian church had found freedom in the power and the presence of Christ. These leaders were trying to put them back under the old Mosaic law. And so the Apostle Paul wrote them a letter warning them about the dangers of trying to live life out of your own human effort versus living life out of the power and presence of Jesus Christ. And at the end of chapter 3... Paul introduces a picture to illustrate the concept of the tree of life, how to live a life that is life-giving, not just a life that's about knowledge and rules. And the new concept that he introduced here is the concept of sonship. And so today we're going to look at, are you a slave or are you a son? Now ladies, when we say son and sonship, we mean sons and daughters, Uh, This is not about gender, it's about how we relate to God. God is our Father, we are His children. Uh, Look at Galatians 3.26, it says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then picking up in in Galatians 4, 4-5, it says, But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. That we might receive the full rights of sons. You know, God didn't like that his children were living and serving him out of a rule book. He didn't like that they were doing things because they had to, because they were compelled by a list of laws to obey. He didn't like that his children were being externally controlled. He wanted us to be internally motivated by a relationship of love. That's why the greatest commandment, the great commandment isn't about doing. The great commandment is about loving. Love God and love your neighbor. Because when you love, you do. And you do the right thing when you love. That's why God sent Jesus Christ, so that we can relate to God as a child would relate to a father. And in the fourth chapter of Galatians, Paul raises this question. He says, are you a son or a slave? Are you living as a son or are you living as a slave? Are you living out of a relationship or living out of a rule book? Now, it's interesting that a son and a slave can both do the same work. A slave can work in the field, do chores, cook and clean. A son can work in the field, do chores, cook and clean. Same work different perspective. When I was a kid, we had a family business. 
Uh, it was a ready-mix concrete plant. We poured basements, we did sidewalks, driveways, anything concrete. And my dad and two older brothers uh, worked at it full-time. And while I was in high school, I would work with them during the summers. Uh, we also hired uh, drivers and office staff and laborers. And so you had family and non-family working together at the same jobs. You had family and you had employees. You had sons and you had slaves. Now, my dad never gave the sons any special treatment. He actually expected more out of us than he did the rest of the crew. The employees could show up at 8 a.m. and work till 5 p.m. The sons showed up at 5 a.m. and worked till 8 p.m. Okay, that's just the way it was. Now, we were doing the same task, performing the same jobs, but there is a difference between an employee, between a slave and a son. What are some of the differences? Here you go, on your notes. First, the slave has a master. The slave has a boss. There's someone ruling over them to make sure the job gets done. And that someone doesn't have a concern for the slave's future. You know, the master isn't concerned about building anything into that person. They just want the work done. They want it done right on time. Because employees come and go, sometimes in the same day, okay? So the slave has a master. The son has a father. You know, my dad expected me to work. He expected me to work hard. But he had something more in mind for me than just the work. Yes, he wanted the job done. He wanted the job done right, just like with the employees. But he was trying to instill in me character, personal discipline, a work ethic that would serve me for a lifetime. My father wanted more for me than he wanted for the employee. Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit calls out, Abba, Father. And the Greek text uses the Aramaic word, Abba. And, and just to clear the air on this, this is not Abba, the singing group from the 70s, okay? I know some of you have Dancing Queen as your ringtone. This is not who we're talking about, Okay? This, this is a, a, a biblical word, and Abba actually means daddy. It is the most endearing term that you can call a father. Now, I have a lot of different titles. Some people call me Mr. Walter. Some people call me Pastor Walter. Some call me Pastor Kelly. Some of the youth call me PK. You know, one of the drummers calls me Dog. My kids... My kids call me dad or daddy. It, it, it is a, a different term than all those other terms. Daddy is an intimate, endearing term. And Scripture tells us that we can call God daddy. Now, that may make you a little bit uncomfortable. It does me. Because we just sang all-consuming, everlasting, God Almighty, Lord of glory, daddy. Okay, But it, it points to a picture in our mind of how we relate to God. A slave has a master, a son, a daughter, has a father. Next difference between a slave and a son. The slave is poor. A slave is working for a person that has more than they have. The, the master has everything, the slave has nothing. The slave is poor. But the son is rich. 
Now, this isn't talking about your net worth. It's not the size of your paycheck or your pocketbook. The son is rich because he has access. He has access to everything the father has. An employee doesn't have access to the personal things of the father. A son does. And I can promise you, I wasn't getting rich working for my dad. I was paid less than a lot of the people who worked for us. But I had access to everything the father owned. I had access to his home. I had access to his equipment. I had access to his tools. I had access to his vehicles. I had access to his time. You know, employees had to make an appointment. I could just walk right in because I had access to the father. I did the same work as everyone in the business, but I had more access. See the difference? Son and slave do the same work, but the son has access to the father. Galatians 4, 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Slave is poor, son is rich. Next difference. Slave is driven by duty. Duty. I I have to do this. I got to go to work. Here comes Monday again. Wednesday is hump day. Thank God it's Friday. Okay, that's the attitude of of the slave. The son is driven by devotion. Galatians 4, 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Paul is warning them, don't go back to doing this on the basis of duty. Don't get caught up in the law. Don't go back and become enslaved to human effort. You know, when I worked for my dad, I was driven by devotion, not duty. There was something inside of me that wasn't in the other employees. It really didn't matter what I was paid because I was there for something bigger. You know, I was working as though someday this was going to be my company. I looked at everything that took place differently than the employees. I realized that this business was providing for my family, for our families. And I remember riding in the truck with my dad before sunup almost every morning all summer. And he was always chipper and excited in the morning, and I never was. And, and he would be talking about the projects we were going to do that day. And I remember riding home after sundown, and he was talking about all the things that we had built and what had happened. And as a 16-year-old kid, I played a part in building things that are still there today. I mean, I go back to my hometown, and and there are basements and bridges and retaining walls and driveways that I helped build. There are foundations and cornerstones and miles of sidewalk that have our company name stamped in them. You know, that took place because of how we related to one another. It was more special than just getting the job done or doing it by the book. You know, once again, the son does the same work, or the slave does the same work as the son, but there's no relationship and, and the reward is different. You know, the employee might get a paycheck, but for the son, there is a reward that flows out of the relationship that you have with the father. Same thing's true in God's kingdom. You know, how you relate to him has a profound effect upon the things that you do for him. Do you do them out of devotion or do you do them out of duty? Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. You know, there are people who think they're going to get into heaven on the basis of the things that they have done. And they'll say, God, you know, we called you Lord, we served you, we prophesied, we cast out demons, we performed miracles, and God is going to say, you missed it. You missed it. I wanted you to know me. Yes, the works must be done. Yes, the kingdom must be built. But I was looking for a son, not a slave. I was looking for a daughter, not a maidservant. Now, how do I get to know God? How do I enter into a father-son, father-daughter relationship with someone I can't even see? I'm going to give you four principles that flow out of this chapter in Galatians. First of all, you've got to change your view of the Father. I mean, what image comes into your mind when you picture God? Is God far off and distant? Is he holding a lightning bolt ready to zap you when you do something wrong? You know, how do you picture God? Well, this is who God really is. Matthew 7, 9, Jesus, he's talking to parents, and Jesus says, which of you, if his son asked for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, love is wanting and doing the best for someone, and God loves you. There's nothing evil or negative in God. God is 100% good, and we have to view him that way. But many times our view of God the Father is tainted by the view of our earthly father. It's just part of how we grow and develop as people. How we view our earthly father tremendously impacts how we view our heavenly father. And and some of us have had good experiences with our dads. Some of us have, have been disappointed by our dads. And it's just natural for us to look at our heavenly father the way we look at our earthly father. That's why it's so important for fathers to be godly. Because it impacts us so deeply. But earthly fathers are imperfect. And maybe you've lived a lifetime of disappointments with your dad. Maybe your dad didn't measure up. Maybe your dad didn't paint a good picture of what a father should be. And so God wants to speak to you today and say, don't hold me hostage to what you experienced on earth. Don't blame God for the wounds that a wounded earthly father inflicted on you. Because the cycle of imperfect fathers raising imperfect kids goes all the way back to Adam, Cain, and Abel. And so your disappointments from your dad, they may come from several different things. Maybe the dad you loved left. He just abandoned you. Just this week I heard this story, a a young boy, Christmas morning, he and his six siblings have just opened their presents and the dad stands up, says he's been having an affair and leaves and they never see him again. Some of you have felt that emotion. Some of you have experienced being abandoned by your father and that can cause you not to trust God because you're afraid God will abandon you too. Some of you, you had a dad that you just never got to know. You never connected. You never had a heart-to-heart real conversation. If you asked him for something, he would give it to you. He provided for you. But he never let you in to know him. 
And that causes you to think that you'll never really know God. Some of you had a dad you loved, but he just overlooked you. His attention was on other things, other people. Maybe even on other brothers and sisters. And that happened to King David. You know, his father, Jesse, just overlooked him. He's the last of the one, the runt of the litter. And when Samuel came looking for a king, Jesse said, hey, don't even bother with David. He's not qualified. Ouch. Some of you had a dad that you loved, but you lost him. You know the grief of the premature death of a father. And whether a father's a good father or a dad father, losing a father early can hurt. You know, what about the dad you love but you fear? You know, some of you feared your earthly father because of physical, emotional, or even uh, you know, spiritual abuse. You know, there's just this father fear inside of you. And so when you think of God, you start to cringe because you know, you know what it's like to be on the bad side of a father. God in heaven today, right now, is calling out to you saying, please, give me a chance to stand on my own. See me for who I am. Understand that even though people on earth might let you down, might even hurt you, I will not do that. That is not who I am. I want nothing but the best for you. See me for who I am. And God is longing for you to know that he will never leave you or forsake you. And some of you have dealt with, with some of the things on, uh, that I've mentioned, You've de- maybe more than one. And, and right now there is a well of emotion that's coming up. Maybe there is a wall of emotion that is going up to protect you because of what you've experienced. And maybe you're seeing for the first time that you've held that against God. And, and I believe right now God wants to change that. God wants to change that. And I I want us to pause right now in the middle of this message and just pray for you to give you a moment just to stop and think about your image of God. And if your earthly father has infected that in a negative way, God wants to set you free from that right now. Would you just pray with me? Let's just close our eyes, bow our heads. God, I just pray for every person here who has been wounded by their father. And God, that's all of us. From the largest hurt to the smallest disappointment, God, I would pray that you would give us a fresh perspective of who you are. That we would be able to separate you from our earthly disappointments. And that we would see you, that we would just let you stand on your own, 100% good, 100% loving and true and faithful. That we would see you as Abba, Father, Daddy. God, change our perspective of who you are. Free us from our hurts. Help us to see our Heavenly Father the way he really is. Jesus, we thank you. You know, once you see your Father as perfect and loving, once you get a proper perspective on him, if you're going to live as a son or a daughter and not a slave, second thing you need to do is you must approach God through relationship, not rules. Now, we're not throwing off the rules. We don't throw out the commandments. We don't throw out the law. You know, they, they are important. They give us a standard to live by. God's laws and commands are for our blessing and for our benefit. Right and wrong are real. But right and wrong only work in relationship. You know, some of us think that God is just this huge, distant being that we could never approach. But God is approachable through relationship. 
Ryland teaches our 501 magnification class. It's part of our life development classes that we teach. And in 501, Ryland teaches that God is infinitely awesome, yet intimately approachable. How cool is that? Intimately awesome, infinitely awesome, and intimately approachable. I mean, we can connect with God in a way that we never could connect with our earthly father. Infinite, intimate, deep, dependable. It's about relationships. Look at the difference between rules and relationships. John 5, 39, Jesus says, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is saying you work hard studying the rules because you think if you know the rules, if you follow the rules, that you're going to get into heaven. But he says it's about the relationship. The rules point to Jesus Christ. The rules lead me to Jesus Christ. That's why we have the Bible. You know, knowing about God is an avenue for us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not about the rules and the law. It's about the relationship. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Don't, don't read this verse backwards. Don't, don't, don't think that, that it's saying that if I disobey him, I hate him. It's not saying that. It's not about trying harder in my own to obey him. It's saying if I love him, then obeying him becomes easy. If I love him, then obeying him becomes natural. The sinful and evil and rebellious desires fade. 1 John 5, 3, this is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. You know, God says, I don't want this to be difficult. You ever had, had a friend where you really had to work to be their friend? God doesn't want to be that kind of friend. You know, Jesus doesn't want it to be that way. He doesn't want it to be burdensome. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He wants it to be full of life. Now, that doesn't mean that life is effortless, or it doesn't mean that there won't be trials and tribulations and tough times and tests. It just means that the relationship with God isn't difficult. It is not burdensome. And if your relationship with God is difficult, that, that's the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You're focused more on the rules, you're focused more on your performance than you are on the character of God, the character of the Father, the relationship. But if you see God for who he really is, if you establish a relationship with him, then the next thing you have to do is give him your whole heart. Give him your whole heart. That, that's what happens in deeply powerful spiritual relationships. Now, let me illustrate this. Let me illustrate this. My, my wife, Katie, expects my whole heart. I mean, if I were to say to her, you know, babe, I want to love you with 99% of my heart, but I want to give 1% of my heart to this other woman. 99 days out of 100, it's you, babe, but one day out of 100, that is not going to fly. It is not an option. I mean, you get that, right? It's not, not an option. Why do we think that's an option with God? Why? You know, you can't fully enjoy your relationship with God unless you're giving Him your whole heart. You won't experience the abundant life, the eternal life, the fullness of life that's being offered. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with, say it with me, all your heart. 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God can be found, but it's going to take all your heart. Now, you may be afraid to give God 100%. If you give God 100%, he will ship you off to some horrible place, like India. <laughs> Let me tell you, I love India. Never thought I would. I love India because I love God. And I love those people, and God loves those people. And, I mean, you give God 100% of your heart, and he will pour more into you, things you never could dream or imagine God will open up for you. But you've got to give him your whole heart because God is jealous for you. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We've got to change our view of the Father. We've got to see Him as all good all the time. We've got to see Him as someone who rewards those who come to Him. And we want to know Him, and we want to give Him all our heart. And we enter into relationship with Him. And you know what happens when you do all of that? You will make mistakes. You will stumble, you will fall, you will sin. We all fall short. Other Christians will fall into sin. I mean, Christians that we love and respect make mistakes. Christian parents make mistakes. There are no perfect parents. Christian kids make mistakes. There are no perfect kids. Christian pastors make mistakes. There are no perfect pastors. And some of those mistakes, some of those sins will hurt us deeply. How do we respond? Number four, you respond to sin with life. The greatest challenge of the Christian life is how we're going to respond to our own mistakes and how we're going to respond, respond to the mistakes of other people. Are we going to respond with life or death? That's the choice. Are we going to respond to our own mistakes with judgment and be consumed by guilt? Are we going to respond to other people's mistakes and be critical and let bitterness and uh, hatred and unforgiveness rise up? Or are we going to respond with life? How are we going to respond? And God responds to us with life. God the Father, he will convict you, but he will not condemn you. And there's a big difference between conviction and condemnation. Now, condemnation we get. Conviction is a Christian word that can be kind of hard to understand. So let me, let me try and explain the difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation says, you blew it, it's over. That's condemnation. Conviction is you blew it and Jesus offers a path of restoration. You want it? That's conviction. Greatest promise, Bible, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Jesus Christ has set me free and given me life. You know, God, your Father, God doesn't want to condemn you. He isn't interested in hurting you. He wants to help you. He wants to restore you. He didn't send Jesus to make you feel miserable. God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. God's not about condemnation and death. God is about conviction and repentance and restoration and life. That's what God wants us to respond to life with. He wants us to respond to sin, our own and the sin of other people, with life. Would you do that today? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word and and that it brings life to us. And and I believe there are people here today who, who feel condemned. They think they've made too many mistakes. Their sins are too evil for them to have any hope. And God, we see in your word that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus Christ sets us free from the power of sin and death. And God, we are so grateful for that. And maybe you're here today and you've been trying to get to God by following the rules. Maybe you've been trying to get to God on the basis of your own effort, your own rightness instead of the rightness of Jesus Christ. And God calls you to stop it. God says, you've got, you've got it backwards. You've got the cart in front of the horse. You, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Accept what he has already done for you. Accept the grace and the life that he offers you. God says, stop living as a slave and start living as a son, living as a daughter, a child of God. If that's you, if you want that today, would you just put your hand up? Would you say, God, right here, me, over here, me. I am sick and tired of being a slave. God, I want Jesus Christ to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. I want him to give me a new life. I want to become a child of God right here, please. God has promised that he will come into you and give you a new life, that he will make you a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You'll become part of the family of God. God, we thank you for that promise. We thank you for that hope. We claim it today in Jesus' name. Amen.